morning and welcome to Restoration. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you all uh, for worship this morning. Whether you're new to Restoration, whether you are uh, a longtime member or a visitor, whether you're watching online with us, uh, we're thankful to be able to worship with you this morning and that you've chosen uh, to be here with us. We're continuing in a series uh, that we've been in a couple weeks on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, this list of uh, different fruits that Christians should expect to see in their lives. And we're looking at the second fruit on that list this morning, uh, the fruit of joy. Now, you might remember when Pastor Dan introduced this series to us two weeks ago, he wanted us to ask ourselves a question each week, right? He wanted us to ask, does this fruit that we're looking at today mark me? Right? In other words, as we hear each of these fruit on this list every week, does it describe me? Right? Is it part of my character? Am I experiencing this fruit in my life as a follower of Jesus? Now the problem with that question is, what do we do when the answer is no? Right? What do we do when we're not regularly feeling or experiencing the fruit that we're talking about, right? Because I think that's the way a lot of us feel about this second fruit of the Spirit, joy. Right? When it comes to joy, if we're honest, I think a lot of us would say, you know, I don't actually experience a lot of joy, right? Or at the very least, it doesn't describe me. It's not a, a part of my regular, uh, my everyday life, right? Sometimes, maybe, I feel joyful, right? But I think joy seems elusive to a lot of us, right? And even the moment when we do have joy in life, it doesn't take very long before something comes along in the world, something happens that takes our joy away, right? Something that reminds us of the brokenness of the world, where there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for joy. So I think what that causes is a lot of us to live in this constant tension, Right? We know passages like this. We know other passages in the Bible that we should be experiencing joy. Joy should mark us. It should define our lives as Christians. But a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times I'm not experiencing what I feel like joy should feel like on a regular basis. So what's going on? Well, this morning I want us to consider that the main reason that we're living in this tension is not that something's wrong with you, right? Because that's what we're actually deep down afraid of, right? If my life doesn't feel like a life of joy when everything in the Bible tells me that it should, then am I really following Jesus, right? Do I really belong to him? Is there something wrong with me? Right? In those dark moments where it doesn't feel possible to experience joy, when we're in the middle of some kind of brokenness in life, or maybe even just when life is kind of gray and mundane. Right? Maybe you're not in a period of brokenness or suffering. Maybe you're just fine. Right? Maybe you're just getting by. You're just okay. But you're not joyful. Right? Is there something wrong with me? Is something missing? Well, what we're going to consider this morning is that the problem isn't that joy is missing. The problem is that joy is misunderstood. 
We've been shaped by our world to misunderstand where joy comes from and what joy really means. And so we need to reorient ourselves to a right understanding. So how have we misunderstood? Well, let me give you an example. In preparation for this sermon, I was uh, reading, you know, a number of books on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, my youngest daughter, Susanna, saw me reading this book. And so she asked me, which of the fruits are you going to preach on? And so we started talking about joy. And I asked her, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word joy? Like, what's the next word that comes to mind? And my guess is her answer was the same as many of you are thinking right now. She said, happiness, joy and happiness. The problem is, in our world, joy and happiness have basically become synonymous. If you ask most people to identify a picture of someone joyful, it would look the same as a picture of someone that's happy. We don't really think about there being much of a difference. But I think there actually is a very significant difference that we need to explore this morning. Because if you're like me, then this misunderstanding of joy is a major part of what it makes, uh, of what makes it so difficult for us to experience joy. Because if I think about joy being the same as happiness, there's a lot in life that's not happy. Right? There's a lot that's broken. There's a lot that's sad. There's a lot that's hard. When I read the fruit of the Spirit, or I read Philippians 4, or 1 Thessalonians 5, when it says to be always joyful, James 1, if you remember from our sermon series a while back, be joyful in all kinds of trials and suffering. When I read those things, and I think about joy being happiness, then I feel like I'm constantly failing at joy. When a friend or a family member is sick or suffering or dies, I don't feel happy. When I'm hurting because someone's doing evil to me, I don't feel happy. When I'm stuck in a moment where I realize I've been evil to someone else, I don't feel happy. But the Bible tells me to be happy, right? To be joyful. So am I living a life of constant failure when it comes to this, the fruit of the spirit of joy? The problem is that we confuse joy and happiness. And so we end up feeling like something's wrong with us, like we're not really following Jesus, or maybe we're living the Christian life wrong, or we feel like we have to fake it. We feel like, okay, I'm supposed to be happy, so I have to, I have to trick myself or I have to lie to other people, I have to put on a, a fake smile, I have to force happiness to, to come from somewhere inside of me. Dan told us two weeks ago, one of the, the key points about the fruit of the Spirit is you can't make it happen inside of yourself. You can't create it inside of you. So if it's supposed to be happiness, then something must be wrong. But that's why this misunderstanding about where joy comes from and what it really is matters so much. That's why it's important to reorient ourselves. So we're going to look at a passage in the Gospel of Luke this morning about joy. I'm going to invite up Luke Kwong to read our passage for us. And as he does that, I want us to think about two points. What is the true source of joy? And what's the true meaning of joy? 
Our passage is Luke 10. It's on uh, page 868 of your pew Bible. If you want to turn there, it'll also be up on the screen. He's going to read verse 1 for us to give some context, and then 17 through 20. So let's give our attention to God's word. Luke 10, verse 1, and then 17 through 20. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Luke. So verse 1 gives us the the context of our story this morning. Jesus sends out the disciples two by two, and he sends them out for the first time with his authority, being able to do some of the same things that he's able to do, right? They travel around. They perform some incredible wonders. They're miraculously protected from evil, right? People are freed from demons through the work that they do. God's kingdom is advancing because of their work in the name of Jesus. And so they come back, verse 17 says, with joy, right? They're excited. They see these amazing things happening. They're joyful. They're happy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. One commentator says that we can imagine them skipping back to Jesus in their excitement, right? Have you ever skipped or jumped because you were so excited, right? Like you have so much energy and so much excitement about something that happened, right? That you have, like your body physically expresses it. You jump, you run, you skip, right? I remember one of the first times uh, that I got to really lead in ministry, right? I'd graduated college. Katie and I were going to go on staff with a a campus ministry, but we needed to wait till she graduated, But the leaders of our ministry came to me while I was working and said, hey, we want you to lead this group of older students in Bible study. This was going to be one of the first times that I really got to step into leadership in this thing that I felt like God was calling me to do. And so I prepared a ton for this Bible study. I showed up that night. I led this first night of the study, and it was awesome, right? It was amazing. We had an awesome time. And I remember coming back home. I remember getting out of my car in our apartment complex. It was dark, and I was so happy. I was so excited that I literally was running back to the apartment jumping because I was so excited and joyful about being part of this work of God's kingdom that I felt like he was calling me to that I got to experience for the first time. And I think that's what the disciples are experiencing here, right, in this moment. They've been following Jesus for probably about two years at this point, right? They'd seen Jesus do incredible things, and now he sent them out to do those same kind of things, and they're witnessing it happen, right? They're seeing people freed from evil because of their words. They're seeing God's kingdom advancing because of them. Can imagine how excited they would be, how easy it would be for them to be joyful over what they're getting to see, what they're getting to be part of. 
Of course they're skipping and jumping back to Jesus. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. But then something different happens. We get this incredible teaching from Jesus. Look back at verses 18 and 19. He affirms what's happening, right? Their kingdom is moving forward through them. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Yes, you're right. The kingdom is advancing. Satan is being defeated. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. But then verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus talking about? What Jesus is doing here is the same thing that we need this morning. He is reorienting the disciples' misunderstanding about joy. Right? Notice that Jesus doesn't tell them not to be joyful. Right? He doesn't say that the things that they're seeing happen aren't, aren't really happening, right? Or that they're doing something wrong. They've actually done exactly what he asked them to do. This is the work that he sent them out. And what they're seeing happen is really happening. But their understanding of joy needs to change. Because when they arrive back, what's the source of their joy? Lord, the demons are subject to us. Their joy is coming from their circumstances and from their accomplishments, even in the name of Jesus, right? They've been successful. They've seen amazing things happen. They've seen Jesus' kingdom move forward in incredible ways. But what if it hadn't? What if their message had been rejected? What if one day, instead of the demons being subject to them, what if one day soon the demons scare them into running away in a garden? What if one day the demons scare them into denying him three times? What if instead of Jesus being the name of the victorious king, what if sometime soon Jesus is the name of a dead criminal? What then? It's not going to be so easy to skip and jump back to Jesus, right? You feel that in your own life. What if my Bible study that night hadn't been an, a success? What if it had been an absolute failure? What if you lose your job? What if you get rejected from that school you're trying to get into? What if that medical test you're worried about comes back positive? What if that sick family member dies? What if a thousand other things that happen every day happen? It's not so easy to be happy. It's not so easy to be joyful under those circumstances. That's the reorientation that Jesus knows the disciples need. Because if the source of our joy as Christians comes from our circumstances and our accomplishments, then we've misunderstood joy. That's the difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness comes and goes with our circumstances and our accomplishments, and there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says that joy has to come from somewhere else. 
do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Your circumstances are great right now, but they won't always be. You're accomplishing incredible things right now, but you won't always. Everything looks bright and amazing right now, but it won't always. Jesus knows that we live in a fallen, broken world. And he knows in order for that world to be fully restored, it's going to take suffering and death to undo the curse that the world's under. And so if the source of our joy is our circumstances and our accomplishments and the things that we do, then that curse is going to hit us hard sometimes in life. For some of you, you're feeling that right now. For some of you, you are feeling the weight of the curse and the broken world right now, and the idea of being joyful in that makes no sense at all if joyfulness is happiness. But Jesus offers another source at the end of verse 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus wants to reorient our hearts to the real source of joy. Not your circumstances, not your accomplishments, but your identity. If your name is written in heaven, if you're here this morning, you are a follower of Jesus, your name is eternally, forever engraved in the book of life in heaven and it can never be erased there is no circumstance no failure no power that will ever remove your name from that book and jesus says that is your source of joy because that's the only way to make it through the broken world how do you find joy in the midst of suffering, like James said? How do you find joy in the midst of failure and sin and death? Because eternally, you belong to Jesus. You're a son or a daughter of the King. You belong to God, and there is no circumstance and no accomplishment or failure that will change that. Romans 8 says, neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Jesus. In other words, there is nothing that can change your identity in Christ. So if the source of your joy becomes your identity as a beloved child of God, then there should be nothing that can ever rob you of joy, even if it takes away happiness. That's what Jesus wants to remind the disciples and us of this morning. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. When we begin to understand that that's the true source of joy, then it actually allows us to begin to reconsider our second point, which is what is the meaning then of joy? If all that we said is true, if joy doesn't mean happiness, then what does it mean? Well, it's something that's much deeper 
and richer than happiness. One pastor described it like this. He said, joy is the pleasure that a Christian takes or feels in all that they are, in all that they have, in all that they ever will be or ever will have because of their union with Jesus. It's a pleasure that makes them glad and content in the Lord even when their circumstances may cause them pain and misery. Do you feel how rooted that definition is in your identity, not in your accomplishments? Our identity is built on our union with Jesus, no matter our circumstances, no matter our accomplishments or failures. Pastor Dan said a couple weeks ago that the fruit of the Spirit are not behavior, they're not feelings, they're not actions, they're character. They're not things we do, they're things that we are. And so to be a person of joy means that you're not defined by your circumstances and your accomplishments. You're defined by what Jesus says is true about you. That's joy, the new identity that Jesus has given you. And so the fruit of joy is produced in you, not of your own effort, but by the spirit of Jesus inside of you. The one who makes you who you are produces joy inside of you so that you can walk through all the experience of life, both the happy and the sad, both the hopeful and the broken, with joy. I told you earlier about Susanna and I talking about joy and happiness. Well, later that night we were reading about the church father, Ignatius. If you know anything about his story, he was martyred in the Roman Colosseum by lions for his faith in Jesus. And earlier, as we were reading the story, earlier in the story, he meets the emperor Trajan, who puts him on trial for his faith. And Ignatius refuses to reject Jesus. And so then this is what the story says. Trajan pronounced sentence as follows. Ignatius shall be carried to the great city of Rome, there to be devoured by beasts for the gratification of the people. When the holy martyr Ignatius heard this sentence, he cried out with joy and prayed for the church and commended it with tears to the Lord. And he was hurried away with savage cruelty. And I asked the kids in that moment, I stopped and I said, how was Ignatius... Is he sentenced to death by lions? How's he able to cry out with joy in that moment? And Susanna raised her hand and she said, because joy isn't the same as happiness. Right? She got in that moment the lesson. Despite Ignatius's tears for the church that he's able to cry, despite the fact of the savage cruelty that he's going to suffer, he was still able to have joy because joy isn't the same as happiness. Joy is something deeper. Ignatius knew that he was going to suffer greatly, but he was going to suffer greatly like his Savior. He had a confidence, he had a comfort in his identity in Jesus that allowed him to cry out with joy in the midst of, of suffering. And if you're honest, isn't that what you hope the spirit, the fruit of the spirit of joy is? Isn't that the kind of joy 
that you want, joy that's with you despite the circumstances, despite the brokenness or mundaneness of life when everything in the world seems gray or black or boring or empty, that the fruit of joy would still be there like an ember burning in the darkness. Reminds me of the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. We've read it here before, and I'll read this as we close. It reads this way. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That is the fruit of the spirit of joy for the follower of Jesus, for each and every one of you this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to the table as we come to this reminder of our identity, this reminder of what you have done for us to make us into your children. We pray that you would produce joy in us, not a happiness that may come and go with life circumstances, but a deep-rooted joy, comfort, confidence that our names are written in the book of life. Do that in us as we come to your table. In your name we pray. Amen.